Welcome to Writer's Digest Presents. Hosted by the editors of Writer's Digest, this monthly podcast features conversations with writing and publishing experts whose insights will help ignite your creative vision, hone your skills, build your platform, and get your work out into the world. Welcome to Writer's Digest Presents. I'm Editor-in-Chief Amy Jones alongside Editor Michael Woodson. This is a very special episode because today we have with us Cherie Demoline, author of the new novel Venco. It is our first book club pick of 2023. Cherie, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Amy. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, it'll be fun. To kick off our conversation, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what the book is about? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I am obviously an author, uh, although it's always fun to say because we don't <laughs> always get to just have that kind of as our main uh, job. I write um, um, YA, you know, um, I guess what they call literature, um, and uh, I've been writing pretty much my entire life. Uh, by the end of this year, I'll have uh, 10 books out. Oh, wow. um, and and I, I live in my uh, traditional territory on the Georgian Bay. It's the uh, homeland of the Georgian Bay and Métis community. Uh, so I'm up here with my very extensive family, pretty much uh, just a town full of my cousins. Um, and so Venco, is a story that uh, I think I've always wanted to write. Um, it's it is it is a witch story, but I think more importantly, it's the story of uh, Lucky St. James, who is stuck and frustrated, and life just isn't going the way it's supposed to be. And you know, things it's kind of this domino effect, uh, one thing and then the next. And then one day, in the midst of this you know, downward trend, she finds strangely a little silver spoon and it's found in a hidden tunnel in her basement in a a sort of a triplex that she lives in with her grandmother. Um, And then that's it. She's recruited into a a coven and the coven's in in Salem, uh, you know, which is pretty exciting. Um, And then the world is just different. There are other groups out there. She's starting to notice, you know, the book clubs and neighborhood watch groups are not what she thought they were. And, you know, the coven has a mission. They need to pull together a circle of, of seven witches to change the world. But Lucky is only the sixth. Um, so there's, you know, there's a clock. There's days left on the clock until this this sort of spell to pull them all together to do their work wears out. So she is sent out, you know, brand new, no idea which is, uh, existed and now she's sent out to find the final witch. But um, like all good heroes, there is something very evil, very old, and also pretty hot uh, that begins to to hunt her as she sets out on this cross country road trip to find this final witch. It was. It's a fantastic story. Um, I love the idea of the spoons bringing them all together, the witches of this coven. Um, you mentioned that this is the book that you have wanted to write for years. So, what was the what was the spark that led you to actually start working on it? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it was a combination of, of a few things. I think it, you know, if I'm going to be honest, and I'm sure you hear you hear this a lot these days, it was. Uh, the entire world shutting down mm. uh, from the pandemic that really 
pushed me uh, to write it. And I think that's because, well, I know it's because for myself and for so many other people, there was this feeling of disconnection. It's hard to be a community person when you're not allowed to be with your community. Um, and and so I, I was, you know, like all of us online and, and, and listening and reading. And there was this general sense of um, um, disconnection, this general sense of uh, uh, sort of you know, floating. It was a bit aimless in that time. I mean, people were just trying to survive, obviously, um, and push forward. And I and I just thought that it, there seems to be like a kind of amnesia that that we forget that we're already so attached. Um, you know, that we have the potential to to be rooted. That we're already connected to our land. That we we already have access to to sort of, you know, our, our belief systems, our gods or what have you. We don't need to be in a specific uh, building. We don't need to talk to a specific man to sort of connect that call. Um, and so I, I really w- wanted to talk about connection and I wanted to talk about, you know, being together and the power of that, the sort of holy joy of what happens when we not only stand with each other, but, but support one another. Um, and so, uh, you know, I've all, like most people have been, fascinated with the sort of history and tale of, of the witch and what the witches stood in for, particularly in literature for so many years, which of course is the stories we weren't allowed to tell, right? We weren't allowed to tell our queer stories, um, people who were pushed to the margins and sort of the witch became that figure, that sentinel that held that space of the other. Um, and so I thought, yeah, this, this, this is time. Plus, you know, who doesn't want to write a grown ass Narnia? <laughs> So this book has so many great characters, um, and they have such different personalities and age ranges and life experiences, and I love that you brought all of them together. What was your process for creating those different characters, and did any one of them come to you first? Oh, that's great. Yeah. So so um, uh, basically, it was it – was, just me saying, okay, what, you know, what is it that I want to take on in this book? What is, what is the story? What is the change that we need? Well, you know, I, I started to, to look at very casually sort of the entire history of the patriarchy and capitalism and colonization and how those three things are connected and hold one another up. Um, and so uh, I thought about, okay, capitalism was was an, an experiment that was that was done after the feudal system fell and there was a big resistance and so the you know capitalism was the response to the resistance of the people and I thought okay it's an experiment uh, very obviously it's not a successful experiment we are careening towards an end um, so if those are the stakes right the very end of the world as we know it which is we are firmly in the middle of that um, who would be the people? to change that who who would we need at the table because obviously who's at the table now not doing a great job so if we could move those you know sort of men away from the table um who would we need to bring together to start to move towards a solution to come up with alternatives so that we can all be there in the future um and that's where the witches came from it was just about okay Obviously, if this is in North America, and I'm, it is, and I'm very fascinated with North American um, belief systems and sort of folk magic, um, you know, there would have to be indigenous witches because 
you want the original architects of and and caretakers of the land to be there in order to have you know any true understanding of the history of the land and and the contemporary issues um you know there had to be age age ranges because experience counts and there's different perspectives and it, it sort of it grew from there um and i think in terms of characters lucky the our, our protagonist was a character that had already existed for me i'd um, put her in non-witch form in uh, a few short stories, but I could never find the home for her. She was she was a character I wanted to write because she was beautifully broken and had mm. the strength to bear, uh, you know, humiliation. That 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 mm. she, uh, you know, while she's sort of figuring things out and and it might stay for a bit, she was always able to push away shame, and I think that's any that that is the talent that all of us need to have to make real changes you know is to be able to to refuse the weight of shame and so i was spent years trying to find a place to build a home for her to be um and so she she was already there um i will say that when uh uh freya who is the young trans witch who's who's in the a part of the coven when her character sort of uh, stepped forward um she totally took over mm. uh my imagination and i actually kept a diary for her for a while just because i thought you know she's so important um and so integral to the story um it's such a such a, a strong character that i need to really really get this right so she i i kind of allowed her uh the most time and and she kind of you know took over my my writing practice for a bit mm. wow yeah. Well, and uh, Venko, the book covers a lot of literal ground as well. And we talked about this briefly before we started recording, but um, there are just so many locations in this book. How how did you approach uh, the research of this? Have you visited all the locations? And also, how did you decide, you know, what to put into the book? Yeah, that's that's great. So I so the plan was. <laughs> when i when i uh decided on on this story and and you know what i needed uh the witches to learn um in order to make change in order to complete their coven in order to move forward um i mapped out so so you know what are those belief systems and where can we find them mm. um because there's so many belief systems um in north america and so you know i was researching things like the fairy tradition gardenian wicca uh the order of the golden dawn hoodoo voodoo pennsylvania powwow uh appalachian belief systems just everything and so it was about thinking of the pieces that needed to come together in the puzzle mapping it out to where those traditions are from because i think it's well, it's incredibly important to uh honor those systems as they've been and not turn this into some sort of i don't know new age potpourri that's not what this is about mm -hmm. so you know, um, um, very uh, hard won um, uh, communities who have worked hard to hold on to their uh, beliefs. And and so then, you know, putting that into sort of a road trip. And so once that was mapped out, the plan was, Michael, to uh, go on a road trip. And then, of course, the entire world shut down and I'm in Canada. Uh, so I couldn't even get there if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course I didn't want to because we 
you're just supposed to stay in your house with your pets and spoil them and eat too much. And so I was busy doing that, but, um, <laughs> uh, so I didn't get to go, but I have been to all of these places. I, my parents were big believers in like, Hey kids, let's get in the Ford Fairmount and go on a road trip. And this is going to be a vacation. Don't worry about it, Sheree. We know you get road sick, but you know, there's a, uh, we have lots of gravel. It'll be great. See the countryside hanging your head out a window. Um, and so, so I did. So I spent my youth um, on road trips and, and actually once I outgrew the, you know, vomiting everywhere, um, I came to really love them. And, and because I love uh, uh, going into places and, and trying to, um, you know, meet people and go to the local bar and, you know, I, go to the library. Like I'm a nerd, so I'm yeah. going to say library, right? Yeah. It's got to be there. Right on. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Perfect. You know, visit the bookstores, go to the library, yep. sit outside and have a coffee and read a book. Like, you know, like you're not on vacation, but you are and it's great. And you love it and you don't care. That's what, yeah. Anyways sidetracked this so on a vacation <laughs> podcast i will give some good recommendations but um um so i i had been to those places but it had been a few years so i was really excited to be able to go back and sort of trace that out so i could really capture um you know pl places change places are very old and don't change but but the surfaces of them do and so i want to be to really honor that but i couldn't um so it was a lot of uh, online research, looking at maps, uh, reading local news, sort of seeing if there was any any anything that I I had to uh, include, um, which is you know so much more boring than just being on the road. Um, yeah, so so I th that's it. That's the story of, of the road trip that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> so. I want to go back to something that you said during this answer about your research into um, the belief systems of all of these different um, areas and and groups. And I love reading stories about witches, and but I haven't done much in the way of like actual research and the folklore surrounding them. Most of it is reading novels like this. So how did you create the rules for your coven and the oracle and how they would work in the book? How much of that did you pull from these, you know, histories of other groups or how much did you create on your own? Yeah. So that's a great question, Amy, because um, I thought setting out that I was, you know, it was kind of going to kind of be a, I was a bit naive. I thought, oh, there's going to be so much to figure out and create and, and, um, you know, sort of pull out of the ether. And as it turns out, uh, there is already... Uh, very old, very entrenched, and and evolving belief systems already here, um, and and it was actually one of the things that I I loved, mm -hmm. and what caused me pause with you know a work like American Gods. So mm -hmm. if you even go back to the you know the television series, which you know I thought they did a good job, but you know the, it opens on kind of the Vikings arriving and then being stuck in North America and kind of calling Odin, calling their God to them. Um, and, you know, he's the God of war. So it's, it's very brutal. Uh, you know, they fight each other and God poke each other's eyes out. It's just brutal um, to try and bring him over. And then he shows up and then of course they end up leaving. And, well, what happens now you've brought your God to, uh, 
this this land that he doesn't know. Um, but the one thing that confused me was um, he kind of arrived and there was no other gods there. There was no other, you know, spirits or tricksters or beliefs. And I thought, oh, hell no. <laughs> if Odin showed up, you know, back with the Vikings, he would have been met by a host of like very hilarious, sarcastic, vicious uh, spirits and, you know, uh, creatures who were already there. Um, and so I, I wanted to really talk about, I wanted to honor that. I wanted to honor the fact that, you know, these are belief systems, um, you know, that now have been brought to this land where there is already a very intricate, very connected, uh, um, God, I don't know, like system of beliefs, because again, mm -hmm. every community, every indigenous community is different and distinct. We're all distinct nations. Um, but that it had already it already existed in and of the land. So what was that? What was that connection or disconnect? You know, what are the ways in which they would play together and kind of clash? I wanted to talk about that. Um, and so I, you know, with that in mind, I, I set out. Okay, I'm going to look and see what's out there. And um, I kind of started with uh, the basics. I, I knew a bit. I, I thought, okay, well, let's look at. Let's start with the most popular. Let's look at Wicca, which you know was started in the mm -hmm. '50s by a British nudist. Um, mm -hmm. Who? Oh, yeah. He he was a. He, you got to look him up. He kind of looks like the Wizard of Oz or something. He was really <laughs> doing the thing. He was doing the thing out there in the UK. Um, um, so he was, you know, that's, and so that's Gardenian Wicca and, and, you know, where it came from. So he was kind of this traveler. And so he was boring bits and pieces from all over, uh, on his travels. And I thought, well, I want to know what those beliefs are. What are, what are the original teachings? And so, um, it wound backwards from there. And, and then I wanted to, to specifically track the belief systems that, um, ended up in North America. So Pennsylvania powwow was one that was really interesting to me, mostly I think because it's called powwow and it has mm -hmm. nothing to do with indigenous people, friends. It's like an early Dutch settler belief system. Um, and, you know, and then, and then even, I mean, I didn't honestly did not get to Salem until, until the very end. There was, there was mm -hmm. so much else out there, but I wanted to keep, I wanted to keep Salem as, as a touch point because People already have so many complicated feelings and 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 understandings, which you know a lot of them are erroneous because of the material that we've been given. I wanted to keep it as the touchstone because there was already that built-in sort of witchiness about Salem. So I thought, okay, let's keep that, but let's then unravel what what these systems you know are. Um, and it was really interesting because uh, you know it's one of those things where okay, so I would get a book on botanical curses because that's what you do and don't worry about anyone checking your browser history <laughs> and then you know it would come up with okay well uh you know here's this in the victorian era there was this mm. plant that they used to put uh out when they were serving tea and so the you know victorians who in my head are anyways are very kind of stuffy people they would put their tea underneath and you would tap um, the plant and, and, you know, the pollen would fall and then they would literally trip balls. So they would have these Victorian tea parties where they were basically 
had dosed themselves with hallucinogenics and it became a part of this. This is how they gathered and they, wow. they were having a proper tea party, you know, so, so it just, it kept going. And so I, I, you know, they, people, they would, there would be references to other books. And so I would grab those books. I would sort of do the, the print on demand for old out of print manuscripts. I talked to anyone and everyone that would talk to me. Um, um, and it was, it was just, it was 38 rabbit holes guys it was not just like oh i did a bit of research for the book it was full on like writing to dig myself out from where i had ended up which was somewhere amazing uh and fascinating but you know i had a deadline so at some point i had to come up <laughs> i was gonna say like how long did all of this research take it sounds like it was quite a dive it was quite a dive. Um, uh, it, it probably it took about a year, which is which is very oh. long. It's which is very long for me. I, I'm I'm one of those um, disorganized writers. I don't recommend this, kids. But you know, I, I get uh, I fall in love with a character or an idea, and then I'm like in a fever dream until until it all sort of uh, uh, lays out. Now, that being said, I do a lot of rewriting because, you know, we're not always clear in the middle of a fever. Um, but uh, yeah, I usually, it usually uh, it comes a lot quicker. But this one, I was so tied up in mm. all of the stories and they were so amazing. Like the advent of the printing press is tied to witchcraft, right? They, 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 had, to get the, they had to get the word out about these evil horrible women and so you know a lot of that material sort of pushed the printing press into popular use so i'm like god how could i not just live in this world for a while wow um something that i loved about Venko was the way it honored the tradition of oral storytelling with mm -hmm. all of the stories of how the different witches came into possession of the spoons and their personal powers and Freya in particular story, like coming into herself was just like a highlight for me of the book, mm. which I also think is a great way to offer readers like necessary information without it feeling like info dumping as you were drafting. How did you approach doing this? How did you approach giving the readers the backstory they need without it being info dumping dumping? Yeah, I, that's a great question. And it's, it's something, um, you know, as I'm working on uh, the adaptation for for TV, um, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Uh, Venko has been optioned um, by AMC. Oh my so gosh! I'm, yeah, so I'm currently um, working on the. I'm actually writing the pilot. I was. I look like this. I this is a podcast, so you can't really see me, but it's a mess, friends. I look like this because I was up all night uh, writing. Because I, I write at night, um, but that's what I was writing was was working on the pilot. Um, um, so, I, so it's something that I'm having to consider again, because in the book, yeah. when I'm writing a book, I feel very comfortable in that space. And I always, uh, defer to the characters. It's, it's something that, uh, features in, I think most of my work where I need to get information across, I hand it over to the characters. So, mm -hmm. um, um, it, so for example, um, in, in my community, um, we introduce ourselves, we, and we introduce ourselves um, by who we are at, at that moment, because we are, you know, changing, evolving people, yeah. nothing's sort of stagnant. Um, and so you, you don't tell people who they are. Um, you offer them the space for them to be able to come into it and tell you, you know, what's important to them, um, how they identify. 
who they belong to, um, all of those things in that space. And I thought it's such a beautiful way. It's, you know, if we're really listening, people tell us who they are um, um, all the time. And I, I think we just need to be better listeners in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. But so I hand that over to the to the characters. It was something in one of my earlier works, The Marrow Thieves, uh, I called them coming to stories where, you know, it's this post-apocalyptic world. And, you know, we know writing those kinds of stories, there's so much background you have to get in and you don't want to do the info dump. You don't want to be the guy who's like, here's this great story. Now let's pause for 23 pages so I can explain how we get here. Give it to the characters. So, so first of all, you need to really, you, you need to know your characters. And if you're not sure about them, you'll get there through this process. Mm-hmm. So you got to trust in this process. Um, make sure that they have their voice um, and then allow them to tell you from their point of view. And if you write it from their point of view, um, it's going to be different. It's going to be nuanced. It's going to be colored by their experience and their perspective, which is interesting, which is how we learn from other people anyway, outside mm-hmm. of books. Um, and, and so, so that was, that was, um, and that was easy for me. I, and I don't mean easy technically or craft wise. I mean, just in terms of getting information across. Let's have a conversation. Let's, let's have like, you know, in one scene, let's, let's put them all in a closed bar and just do a ceremony that consists of drinking all of the gin and vodka that they can find (laughs) and see what happens. Right. So they're, they're going to have conversations. We're going to learn things and it's going to be hilarious and it's going to be uh, messy. And, and that's the good stuff. That's the interesting stuff. So you don't have to, um, I always try and, you know, remember, okay, I have to trust my readers. Like, I don't need to mm-hmm. lay this out A, B, C. I can give them people they love, um, and then they'll want to hear what they have to say. And then so just sort of, you know, give those jobs to your characters. Wow. So kind of related to that oral storytelling, one of the things that I really appreciated about the book was during one of those conversations that Lucky was having with Wendy, Lucky asks, why me? And Wendy tells her she needs to readjust your idea of what makes someone worthy of having something like this happen to them. And I think, I mean, I guess like I can't speak for all women, but that's an experience that I've had. A struggle that I've had is feeling worthy of like when something good has happened to me. And you explore that idea with a lot of the witches in this coven. So why was it important to you to include that? Oh, absolutely. It's because, you know, it, I I mean, Amy, this is absolutely the story of my life. I think it's so many of us, um, you know, it's waiting for the other shoe to drop, which I don't know why we do this to ourselves, but something good happens. So what is the counterbalance, right? Like, there's no way this just happened to me. Like everything requires a blood sacrifice. Um, um, And, and I, for a while, I thought it was because, you know, I spent my as a child, my uh, parents attempted to, you know, <laughs> raise me inside of the Catholic Church. And for a while, I thought, God, is that where my anxiety comes from? Is this is why, you know, I feel like, you know, I have to suffer for, for everything I get and not just work hard like everyone else does. Right. Um, right. But I think it's I think it's universal. I think it's more than that. Um, um, and and I think it took me a while in trying to figure out what that what that compulsion is to to imagine that there's a checks and balance system and and that kind of imposter sy- syndrome you feel when something good happens to you um and it really it, it came down to the 
a day when, you know, I was actually writing an essay on anxiety because I thought, well, I got to talk about it because this is, I mean, I've been having panic attacks, you know, since I was seven. So I want to talk about it. And, and, you know, so many of us suffer with anxiety and live with anxiety and get by and don't even, you know, really notice it. It's sort of just become the, the uh, stationary we're all writing our stories on. But I thought, what if the opposite of success, of like this great, big, exciting success is not something horrible happening, but just quiet, which is pretty nice. What if the opposite of like, you know, this uh, as it's sort of this, this loud celebration is just satisfaction and solitude, which is lovely. Um, so sort of reframing the parameters. And so I wanted to hand that back, you know, to these witches who the way that they come into the coven is not about um, grabbing some outside magic. It's about the moment when they realize that they have some sort of capacity to be themselves. And so the power of them, of course, and it seems simple to say it, but, you know, when you're trying to live it, it's, it's, it's pretty nuanced and complicated. But the understanding that, um, you know, you, you, you can uh, live your, you know, to your fullest idea, not potential, but the, your own idea of what success is. And that's different for everyone. And so I really wanted to focus in on the fact that the great thing about, you know, these belief systems that are tied to old traditions and to the land um, that are disconnected from this sort of hierarchical politically, um, you know, say in some cases, not all, you know, motivated kind of structural belief systems, but the connection that we have to whatever your spirituality is, um, that's accessible to everyone. Um, and, and I wanted to kind of, if I could just, you know, just shake it up a bit and kind of wake, wake some people up to what is already theirs, not mine. And I'm not, you know, um, trying to sell any kind of religion. I'm not door to door with a name tag. I'm not in any way um, suggesting that one trumps the other, that there's, you know, a, a best case scenario. I'm just saying that we all have a, a private connection. And so, mm. and we don't need to buy into, and, and I mean that literally, because we know for a lot of um, belief systems, there's, there's ties to like, you know, paying into a system or, you know, um, whatever that, whatever that is. I'm not going to get into it because we're not going to talk about Big churches? God, you guys, what are you doing? Uh, it was all me. I did it. Um, but what I wanted to really, I, what I was hoping people would remember is um, that the, there cannot be extraordinary without ordinary. That mm. we, we don't need some kind of outside person tapping us and saying, you know, that you're allowed to move forward, that we can do that ourselves. Um, and so it's actually where the spoons came from. I thought, I want these, wait, I want to do a witch story. I'm going to take these witches and I'm going to, you know, yep, let's connect them to Salem because that's, again, a touchstone. Um, I'm going to look at all these belief systems, map it out. But I want the thing, the unifying factor, the symbol of this coven to be something really common and overlooked and mundane, something that's just out in the open and we don't think about it. It's, it's, you know, it, again, it's the, it's the title of the book. It's, it's, Benko is very obviously coven, just kind of a few letters switched. Um, and I wanted it to be like, we are here and like hiding in the plain open, like it's right here. And so um, when I was thinking about what that object or symbol could be, 
uh, I really wanted it to be something so just that you would never think about. And, and that was kind of, you know, like a throwaway item had no real value. And so I thought about um, souvenirs and I was like, oh, that's cool. Cause it ties into this road trip I want to do and talk about land and journeying uh, respectfully through other people's landscapes. And so um, then I thought about those hideous and everyone knows what I'm talking about those hideous souvenir spoons. Like my grandmother had so many of them and she did not travel friends. I don't know. She must've gotten one. And then everyone in the world was like, Oh, Edna loves those spoons. Let's get her one uh, to places. She'd never been. I have no idea, but she, you know, got those really hideous uh, plaques that look like old sort of trophies and with a little space to hang each spoon. And so she had all these spoons and then like, what do you do with them later? Do you like, you can't, what do you like leave that to your least favorite grandchild? Like, here you go. Horrible collection of, spoons to places I've never been. Um, but anyway, that seemed perfect to me. I was like, that's perfect. Cause it's, you know, we, we it, it can talk about the sort of um, rebellion against and sort of the domestic servitude of like, you know, where the brooms come in. So let's talk about, you know, the spoon sort of being an implement of quote unquote women's work in the kitchen, mm. but also that it's a part of this throwaway culture. It's a souvenir. It's something we don't think about um, because I really want people to imagine that, uh, magic lives and comes from the mundane, right? The every, mm. everyday things that we do. So then I thought, well, I don't know enough about souvenir spoons to start telling that story because who would, <laughs> right. who would know about that? So, um, so I thought, okay, I, I should figure out, you know, when they started and how I can sort of connect the story. Um, and so I went online uh, as one does and I looked up, uh, North American uh, souvenir spoons. Um, and so it, the article pops up and it says, the first collectible souvenir spoon came out in 1892 uh, out of the uh, a company in Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, no way. And it was commemorating the 1692 uh, Salem witch trials. So literally, the spoon that started it all uh, was the Salem witch spoon. And so I thought, well, that's a pretty heavy-handed hint universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get it. Um, and so that part, in all honesty, I would love to say, you guys, I, I did this research and then I wove it together. No, that was, um, that was a total surprise to me. Wow. Um, um, and, and, you know, quite lovely. And so I, I and sinister, I thought, what the yes. hell was going on? Uh, and then, so I did, you know, then I ended up in rabbit hole 39, which was, you know, <laughs> who is this company and what were they doing? Yeah. Like, how did they come up with it? Uh, and there was some interesting stuff there, which I, you know, ended up in as part of the story. Wow. I think something else I love about Bunko is I think it does a great job of celebrating like the interconnectedness of uh, friendship and found family and um, like intersectional sisterhood. Um, and I'm just curious about like the reader's response to this. Have you heard from readers of Venco and what, what have they been saying about uh, this? I would say in particular or in general. Yeah. Um, so interestingly, the, 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 I think number one um, sort of response that I have um, is people wanting to climb Jay Christos. 
who is our villain. People sure. are like, oh, yum. And uh, so, you know, because I feel like it's my job to restore uh, the bisexual villain. I mean, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. I feel like that's kind of like if I had one mission on Earth, it's to, it's to like put, put bisexuals back in this, uh, you know, prized position. Um, so, so that's the first one, which is hilarious. And I love having that conversation because it's also very troubling because he's heinous. Yeah. But he's charismatic. And so you're kind of in that position where you're like, God, he's horrible and I don't want him to win. But also, girl, I might be able to fix him. Like, you, you, you have his, right? He's like your favorite worst mistake. Uh-huh. Well, Lucky feels of, that way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. She's right. very conflicted, <laughs> uh, which is hot. Um, so that that's kind of the, the number one. But, but that's, I think, you know, is very... Uh, lighthearted and we can laugh yeah. about it and there's something great too about laughing about i mean let's face it what is he he has he has such a huge ego that he has believed mm-hmm. himself into immortality he is the just the horrible man that you know one night stand that will not leave yeah, yeah. just <laughs> always in your kitchen making another pot of coffee um so there's something fun about um poking fun at and also kind of sexualizing uh, this kind of character um, because mm-hmm. he seems so powerful. So let's, you know, knock him down a bit. But I will say once, you know, once we, you know, sort of the thirst trap of Jay, where those mm-hmm. conversations happen and are over, um, um, people feel very seen. And that is honestly the biggest gift uh, that an author can get. When somebody messages me and says, um, I've never seen myself in a book before. I feel like you know i'm a part of this community i honestly i i um i mean it sounds cheesy but right it, it's the best thing you could hear it's that you have successfully created a world where people can see themselves existing and for so many communities that's not always the case right the mm. the, the, the yeah, i'm sorry you guys i'm up in I, canada's not great but there's some legislation going on right now that makes me terrified uh for some communities in the united states and and so if for a moment in a really superficial way, I can create a story where there's a landscape where your identity is, is vital, not, oh, I'm going to add you in. Here's your you know, yeah. guest room. No, your, your knowledge and your community has helped me build this world from the ground up. Um, you are part of the blueprints. There is no added on for you. You are the absolute heart of this home. And so if I can for a moment um, create that space and people tell me that they they went into the house and they had a beautiful meal or they danced or they cried or they remembered things or they're moving forward, that is uh, honestly the best I could ever, ever hope for. I really appreciated that about the story, the um you know, how, how seen some of the characters were able to feel in that coven. Um, you did mention Jay Christos and <laughs> that was literally going to be my next question was, he sounds like yes. a really fun villain to write. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't know, for some reason, the way I read books, I don't often picture real people in, um, as characters, but I, I couldn't get Alexander Skarsgård out of my head with Jake <gasps> Christos. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, I thought that was like, I don't know. To his agent's ears. Like, to AMC's yeah. ears. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so like, 
I guess you kind of touched on this, but what was it like to write such a, I mean, he was an evil person, but such a fun yeah. villain for a story yeah. like this. It, it was, it was great. So um, um, I love uh, writing a good villain. I, I really do. And sometimes I overwrite them. Like I've had comments back like, Hey, uh, is there anything you want to tell me? Because you are spending a lot of time in this novel or on this script on this very problematic person. Um, and, and yes, what I want to tell people is let's, let's, let's humanize like that because then you can take it down. So, so the mm -hmm. thing with Jay is, um, he obviously is holding a lot. He's representing a lot. And so in that way, he could be a flat character. He could be very, um, stereotypical. He could be, um, really, you know, uh, un uninteresting, um, because he's just there kind of holding space. But, uh, I, then I think it's too easy to be dismissive. Then it's too easy to say, well, this is a caricature and to not really think about, um, um, you know, what it is that he's bringing forward and why it's been so successful. So he is obviously, you know, holding that space for, you know, again, colonization, patriarchy and capitalism, all of which are connected and need to be in place to, to exist. Um, so I didn't want him to be dismissed. I don't, I didn't want him to, to be easily dismissed. Oh well, he's the bad guy. So this is how you know how it is. Let's let's focus. Let's focus up on the on the sort of the battle to come. I wanted him to be nuanced and interesting, and I wanted you to feel conflicted about him because mm -hmm. that's how this world is, right? We don't we don't we're not all the time being like ah oh, tear it down. This is I mean maybe we are I don't know, but personally <laughs> every now and then I find myself in you know, a store that is like a name brand. And I'm like, that shouldn't be here. This is capitalism. But that purse is adorable. And it makes me happy. <laughs> it's very complicated. And so I wanted to, I wanted to um, take the shame out of that, of the fact that there are things that we enjoy mm -hmm. um, in the world as it is. Um, and, and, you know, it's like, and it felt like one of those things like, okay, I'm just gonna say it. Everybody watches porn. In some way, you guys... <laughs> You know, we are all guilty. I don't know if it's guilt. They're, that's a part of our world, but nobody talks about it, right? We don't talk about it. And so it exists kind of in the shadows and it's this like other layer of life. The capitalism is horrible. We can yell around about it and want to tear it down and move forward in different ways. But also purses are great, right? Like I have like 18 pairs of running shoes. Nobody's running that much. I don't run, friends. But they're cute. Like, there's there are things that you. But we're not supposed to talk about it, right? Because we like, mm -hmm. no, we need to tear it down. So I'm like, no, let's let's just let's just. So let's take all those complicated feelings, the fact that we are attracted to certain things, and that it is woven itself into our lives, and it it feels hard to try and do that separation a lot of the times. Uh, I mean, if someone offers me, if there's like a open seat in first class and I get bumped up, like, I'm not going to say no, that's, sure. that's elitist. I'm going to be like, can I have a warm cookie, please? <laughs> right? Like, you're going to enjoy oh, that yeah. moment. And so, so it, like, let's talk about that, that, that temptation, that enjoyment of those, those things while also trying to change things. That's what Jay represents. He's charismatic mm. as hell because, because capitalism is charismatic as hell, Right. So, so I wow. wanted people to feel conflicted about it. Like, oh, I'm attracted to him. God, I hope he takes his clothes off in this scene. Holy hell, he's terrible. He needs yeah. to be dealt with and go away, right? So, yeah. so he had to sort of walk that line of embodying all of those things. And, and the great thing about when you're writing a villain 
is, um, oh, it's such a guilty pleasure. Like if you create the right villain, you, you, you love him and hate him while you're writing him, but you, he's, it's compulsive. You want to write that character because he needs to, or they, they could not he, they need to believe that what they're doing is right. I think for me, that's the key. I had to really imagine Jay as a, as a character who, you know, so in, you know, in the book he's descended, he is the last Benandate, the good walker. They are real. Um, it was an agrarian cult uh, from the 15th and 16th century. Um, and it was made up of these uh, men who, uh, hold on to your hats, uh, did things like left their bodies at night and rode magical beasts into forests and fields over fields to do battle with other creatures who were witches. Um, and then they would go back into their bodies um, and mm. you could call on them for cures, but they were not. And I repeat, they, they were not witches because, hey, they were dudes. So they were, so there's only two times in history that um, a Benandate was brought in that I could find on the record. And I did check the record um, for the Inquisition. There was only two times uh, that Benandate men were brought in um, to talk about the fact that, hey, y'all are doing some witchy things. And they're like, yeah, but we're not witches because dudes. Um, and, and so he is one of those original then over time they started to get lumped in with witches. And so then they became very, even more wrathful of them. So they started hunting witches because how dare you call me the thing that I very clearly am claiming to be, but I'm not. Um, and so, you know, I, Jay's one of them, but he, um, God, I completely lost the thread because I just got fascinated writing his character. Oh, I get it. Sorry. I'm back. Um, <laughs> he needed to believe fully that what he was doing was, righteous so it wasn't just mm -hmm. that you know i didn't want to give him a dialogue of like this is how things are and that's why no mm -hmm. he had i wanted to spend time with him where we understood that is you know as much as we hated him and how heinous his his acts and attitudes were to us as rational people to mm -hmm. jay that was his logic they that was his passion that he really truly believed that what he was doing was noble and so that's where you get a beautiful villain, right? A beautifully horrid villain is somebody mm. who is really putting effort, not into being bad, but putting effort into whatever driving goal, driving passion that they have to push forward. And so, um, so naturally he became, you know, kind of aloof, but also very passionate, um, which is like dangerous for the rest of us. Cause like, mm. yes, please, Alexander Skarsgård, take that role. <laughs> And then take your clothes off. <laughs> Again. <laughs> yes! Yes! Let's relive the famous True Blood scene. Michael, I love where your brain is. I do. I love... I was I was OG True Blood fan. Yes! Um, you you write you you mentioned this at the top you write for a wide range of ages and your YA novels are wildly popular and critically acclaimed. Is your process different for writing for different ages? And if so, how? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> to be honest, I, at the outset, um, I don't think about it really at all. You know, oh, I'm, mm -hmm. it's time to write a YA. It's time to write. Yeah. I, that's, that doesn't enter my head. Um, um, it's the story. And so uh, the ideas generally come from, it, it's always the perfect storm, right? It's always a combination of things. It's 
I have a, a notebook. I have many notebooks around my house. It's kind of actually a problem, but uh, you know, I have notebooks where I, if I'm reading the paper and something strikes me, um, I, I like, I remember reading this article in the New York times once, and there was a comment. Somebody said um, the children of birds. And I honestly, I'd love to attribute it, but I, I don't, I don't even remember what it was from, but I wrote those words down and, that in in combination, you know, with with um, God, what was I looking? I was looking at uh, sculptures, and mm-hmm. and that that wording turned into an idea, which then you know. So it's kind of like that. It's and we know this as writers, right? It's it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to be really stereotypical, sort of living in Canada for a moment. It's kind of like building a snowman mm-hmm. or rolling a snowball, right? It's like it's like. <laughs> The constantly adding layers until it becomes its own structure. I really hate that I said that, by the way. No. I'm angry with myself. That was lame. <laughs> um, but um, sort of the idea comes forward. And then and then the characters, although, you know, in Lucky's case, and in some cases, the characters come first uh, and demand that I do better so that they can sort of exist. Um, and then it's really about tone. So I never know. So sometimes I have young characters who their their tone and their direction and their point of view uh, doesn't lend itself to YA. And then sometimes I have older characters who the story and the the sort of the journey that it's it's going to go on it lends itself to YA. And then I think I just I just do it, and and I'll know pretty quickly because um, if I get into a into a stage where I feel like I am running down a hill, sort of arms windmilling, like like chest first, like with abandon, just emotion. That's YA. That is that is the 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 danger and the beauty of youth. It is it is such a tumultuous time. You couldn't pay me enough to be fifteen again, um, and I really honor the work that those kids are doing in that time, especially in the world as especially it is. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it is, I can't, I cannot begin to imagine. Um, although I have to, cause you know, I have a, I have a 16 year old. So I'm like, Oh God, I need to, what can I put, you know, how can I tape off these sharp corners? And she's like, the world is sharp corners, mother. She's a bit of a goth, but anyways. Um, <laughs> so, so it's, it's, when I come to this moment where I'm like, I'm, I'm scared writing this and exhilarated, and it's going fast. It's heart first. Every day is the best day or the worst day. And that's valid, right? Of course, they have big emotions because it's a huge time. Um, um, and of course, you know, they're not always going to be pleasant all the time. Because once again, it's, you know, this it's they're running down a hill trying to stay alive. And now we're like, hey, also, could you fix everything? Because, you know, the world isn't going in a good place. Um, so, so that's generally when I'm like, this is YA. And so then I need to, to do a few things. So I need to, um, because generally, generally younger readers, uh, not, I, I never change the level at which I write because they're brilliant. So I don't need to change. I don't need to, you know, sort of dumb anything down at all. Um, but I need to be clearer because for, for generally for young readers, there's less, uh, experience. They've been alive for, for, you know, not as long. So some of the, the hard won knowledge, God, I sound like I'm 90, but the no, hard one, right. right? The yeah. hard won knowledge, they, they haven't been able to, to sort of get there. 
Um, so I so I need to be clear uh, about things. That doesn't mean no metaphors. It means my metaphors better be damn clear. Um, and I also have a responsibility to understand enough about uh, that age to have the um, and I hate to use this word, but like the hooks, the the footholds mm-hmm. that they can they can get onto to to go in the story. I can't. I I you know I really resent um, when I was in school, like uh, you know, sort of handing over of this really old. Uh, you know, the dead white guy literature and they're like, here you go. This is a great, well, who says it's great mm-hmm. by whose standard of excellence is this great? Because in my community, Shakespeare would be chased out of town for being a bad storyteller and because stories should be accessible because, because it's something that, that, that needs to feed us all. And if I can't even get to the table because I can't understand the context, not that I'm not smart enough, just that this doesn't in any way see it's not relevant to me. It's not plugging into any of, you know, what I understand to, to release emotions for a story, then that's not a good story for me. Again, like, please don't send letters to Writer's Digest saying, stop talking to authors and hate Shakespeare. I mean, I do. But I'm not saying you shouldn't read them. If, if he connects to someone, then, you know, good, good. Get a ruffled collar, read the books. I don't know. Um, so, so YA is about being clear and finding the ways to connect to them, to really truly give them that story uh, and not be hokey about it. Cause they will tell mm-hmm. you, they will let you will show up to do a reading and they will be like, you are not cool. And then you just need to kind of take it and be like, mm-hmm. you know what? Okay. I need to do better. Um, when the story is going to be sort of, you know, an older audience or what we perceive as an older audience, although let's be fair, uh, young readers, I read it all. Uh, they're not like oh this isn't for me they're like this isn't for me give me two um (laughs) so it's i feel there's there's almost um i it's not more freeing well maybe it is because because it's terrifying writing ya and it should be because it's Mm -hmm. a very fraught time i think when it's you know sort of literature that i'm like okay i don't need to you know i don't need to really think about you know, I can be sarcastic. I can be, yeah. uh, I, I can have a very slanted point of view without explaining this is, you know, this is just one opinion. There are other opinions. I can just, you know, be horrible. Also, let's be honest, uh, a lot of uh, publishers might think that um, sexual content, sh- there should not be that much of it in YA. So once in a while, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to write this adult book. I'm going to write the hell out of it. <laughs> 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 So when I got to, uh, we're not going to spoil the ending of the book, but when I got to the end, when I read the epilogue, um, and I think it was one of the last things, it was either the title of the epilogue or the very last bit of it, but my first thought was, oh my gosh, I hope there's a sequel. (laughs) Because these, like, I want to (laughs) know. Uh, Amy, bless you. There, there is. I'm actually. Uh, oh, thank yeah, goodness. I'm working on, I'm working on book two now, and and it's Fantastic. interesting because, um, I never imagined that there's going to be a, a sequel ever. Um, you know, for for you know, in the YA uh, books, the Marrow Thieves, um, kind of exploded uh, unexpectedly, mm-hmm. um, and then I had a lot of. I mean. Speaking of young readers and how passionate they are, they they sent petitions to my agents and publishers. They wow. uh, built um, uh, like all of my characters have Instagram accounts, and so then 
like oh. literally the characters were messaging me like please don't kill me and I was like oh my god this is a nightmare situation <laughs> yeah. there was like letters and there was like I was getting video messages from whole classrooms to write a sequel um um and so eventually I was like fine I'll write a sequel but you know oh no twist my arm as an author you want me to actually publish a book that's what a privilege especially coming from that audience like what yeah. a privilege but I had never imagined it because when I was learning story uh, and it was from uh, uh, an oral tradition, story should be uh, in order to properly tell that story and hand it over. It should be a bit open-ended. It should, there should be enough threads that uh, somebody can take them and start weaving it themselves. And that, because it's a gift because now it's truly yours. Now you're taking it. Um, But when I started for the first time ever, you know, starting a book when I, when I, I mean, I wasn't working on Ben Banco for very long when I realized, oh, damn, there's no way I'm going to friggin' tear down the patriarchy in one book uh, yeah. because I need to bring these witches together in a, mm-hmm. in a good way. And I need to be really clear and honest and build trust because it is such a complicated, violent world that we live in. And so that's reflected in their world. I needed to uh, build a relationship between reader and witches so that, I mean, we're going to go into some dark places. I, I um, you know, one of my um, mentors uh, in, in my life and, and, you know, also in my career, um, the incredible storyteller and author, the late uh, Lee Miracle. Um, I spent a lot of time with, with her and she said, it's our job as storytellers um, to, walk, to walk our readers into the shadows because that's where, especially for, you know, indigenous storytellers, where so much of our stories have been left in the shadows, um, sort of tucked away. So it's our job to take people into the shadows, but we always um, need to provide, if you cannot provide a door for them to leave, there needs to at least be windows because you need to provide light. Um, and so it was, it was really about like, I need to have these characters that are filled with light so that even when I take this story into, into the shadows, I need readers, um, to know that there's a promise of light somewhere and it could be from somewhere unexpected. And it honestly, uh, usually is. Um, but you can't do that. You can't have that uh, uh, access to, to, to something brilliant um, without the darkness and without having characters that you trust to take you on this journey. So I really, this book was about um, building that relationship, about, about celebrating the absolute joy of chosen family um, and then inviting readers into that family setting out the world, having a lot of, I mean, I mean, there's adventures in the book. There's a literal, Mm -hmm. you know, road trip and, and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, building out Jay's, uh, complicated story. And then, and then seeing what could come next and man, anything could come next. So we'll see. I'm so thrilled to hear you say that. I'm glad that I read that right. (laughs) (laughs) It has been, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I really enjoyed this conversation. I love the way you think and how you mm. take what you've learned from your research and and are creating these stories with such intention and thought. 
um, I really appreciate it. It makes me love the book even more after talking to you. So thank you. Thank you so much. I I also cannot believe that we, that entire timeline that we just had, which seemed like we had so long to chat with each other just flew by. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I really appreciate it. This is, this was a beautiful conversation. I, I really, I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Um, where can people go if they want to learn more about you and your writing? Ah, so I, my agents um, were like, hey, you need to put something together because this is my warning. So I, 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 as a woman in her 40s, was like, I don't need to hire someone to do a website. I'm going to do my own. So if you go to SheriedEmmeline.com, you're going to find my best efforts at a website. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's okay, but I'm sure um, younger people will be like, this is, where's your TikToks? I don't have TikTok, but I do have a website. (laughs) Well, I've been there and it's lovely. And I saw on um, your events page that there's a website for Venco in the works too. (laughs) There is. So I, that was early on um, when, so the, 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 Venko was actually optioned from an early version of a manuscript, uh, uh, which is very rare, which was, was odd. And I thought, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Um, so I better I'm going to hold this space. I'm going to hold this space because I feel like um, if if readers love this and they they want a, a larger community around the story, um, then then I'm going to hold this space for them and, and see what what happens. And so the book's been out for a couple of weeks. There's um, um, you know, there's Spotify uh, playlists for Venco. There's uh, online covens that have formed through social media. Um, and so I thought, good, I'm glad I <laughs> sort of picked up the it's mm-hmm. welcome to yeah. Venco.com. And so it's it's sitting there and uh, and I'm just waiting to see what what the community wants with it and, and how we can best serve people's interests as the story moves forward. So it is in the works and it's I'm kind of throwing it back out there and we'll see what people want. That's really exciting. Totally. <clears throat> well, for our listeners, you can pick up your copy of Venco at your favorite bookstore and then join us on the Writer's Digest social media channels to share your thoughts about the book. We thank you for listening to Writer's Digest Presents. Be sure to join us next month when we'll be talking about writing retellings and fan fiction. In the meantime, you can always find us at writersdigest.com and on social media at Writers Digest. See you next time.